Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I read about a conversation that occurred on an ocean-going ship on its way from America to Scotland. The conversation was between the well-known singer and song composer George Beverly Shea and a fellow passenger. The passenger had asked Mr. Shea about the structure of the Billy Graham Crusades. As Mr. Graham outlined how the typical crusade played out in front of thousands of attendees, he related that when it came to the appeal, when hundreds of people often responded to Mr. Graham's call to receive Jesus as their saviour, he admitted he was at a loss for words. And this was anything but typical. He said in his then eight years with Mr. Graham, he had seen many amazing things, but the wonder of it all was to watch every night as hundreds came forward to receive Jesus as their saviour. Well, that evening, as Mr. Shea remembered his conversation with this passenger, he was inspired to capture his feelings and conclusion in a song that has since become a favourite of many people. He called the song The Wonder of It All. Listen to the words. There's the wonder of sunset at evening, the wonder of sunrise I see. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. There's the wonder of springtime and harvest, the sky, the stars, the sun. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is a wonder that's only begun. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Simple words, yet they express the wonderful truth that is felt by all who respond to God's love. There's the wonder of sunset at evening, the wonder at sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Do you ever give thought to those words? The wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that's only begun. The Bible reminds us that ear has not heard, the eye has not seen, and even more has never even entered into the heart of man or fully understood what the glories that God has waiting for us in heaven. We are at present unable, ill-equipped, as it were, to be able to understand all these things. We don't even know where to begin. The Apostle Paul once said that he has ascended to the third heaven and was quite incapable of describing the things that he saw there, even if he had been allowed to do so. For nearly 2,000 years, the Lord has been gone. He said he was going to prepare a place for us and that he would return again to bring us where he is to be with himself forever. 
What a place that must be. No earthly comparisons are possible. We speak of heavenly things, spiritual things, a dimension that we cannot know or experience in these earthly temples of ours. But one day we have been promised to see and to know God even as he now knows us in our frail bodies. We will be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, we will see the Lord and be with him. And you know what? We shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. message for today. Here's Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings. Thank you, my friends, for once again tuning in to Echoes of Calvary. Someone has said, and I quote, Washington, that means Washington, D.C., Washington has lots of peace monuments. Why? Because they build one after each war. End of quote. Let me quote that again. Washington has lots of peace monuments. Why? Because they build one after each war. Now, someone has defined peace as the rare moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Isn't that ironic? Peace is that rare moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Did you know that the United Nations was established in 1948 to bring a cessation to war and establish peace among the nations of the world? However, ironically, there has not been a single day of peace since that time. In fact, the UN is in session even as I speak. And what are they doing? They're trying to decide on who will make war on whom. 
The peacemakers are trying to do so, they say, by making even more war, something that the UN was created to prevent. Did you know that Jesus has his own peacemaking and peacekeeping force in the world today? He tells us that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, in the beatitude that we'll be looking at today. Jesus has enlisted his disciples to be peacemakers, his peace corpse on earth. Here's how he does it. I quote now Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. But now exactly what does this mean? In order to see how important this particular trait of a believer is, I want to begin our look at this beatitude by considering the third aspect of the beatitude as given in this chapter. I want to look at it, the third aspect first, rather than beginning at the beginning as we did with the others we have previously studied. So then I ask you to take your Bible, look at verse 9 of Matthew 5, the last phrase of it. This is what it says. They will be called the sons of God. Now notice, that is the basis and result of being peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. Now, there are two words that are translated sons or children in the New Testament. One is technon, and the other is uioi, uioi. Technon is a specific word for children. Uioi, which means son, is used to emphasize a distinction or trait or honor within the family. For instance, Barnabas is called the son of consolation rather than a consoling or comforting man. In other words, he was characterized by consolation. It was a part of his nature, who he was as a person. Likewise, James and John are called the sons of thunder, rather than being called men who were rough and loud and boisterous. You see, they were by nature tough and militant. That's who they were. So when it says that the result of being peacemakers would be that Jesus' disciples will be called the sons of God, it means that they will be known for their God-like characteristic for their God-likeness. They will be like him because that is what he is. He is a peacemaker. Our peacemaking will help us to be like our Heavenly Father and like Jesus Christ. This is the blessing that is promised in this beatitude. So then, what does it really mean to be a peacemaker? Let's look at these words very carefully. The word for peace in the Greek is Irene. That's where we get the name Irene. Hebrew, it is Shalom. They mean the same thing. Irene, Shalom, means peace. But now, it does not only mean the absence of war or the absence of conflict or trouble, but the word also means in a positive sense, the enjoyment of all that is good. It's not only a lack of conflict or tension, but it's also the enjoyment of fellowship. Now, there are at least three aspects of peace given in the New Testament. First, peace is a state that exists between God and man 
as a result of man's faith in Jesus Christ. For instance, Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, Jesus is our peace, who has made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, he's speaking about peace with God here. But second, peace is also an attitude that pervades a person who trusts God for all aspects of his life. Paul speaks about this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. This is what he says, quote, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now notice, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. End of quote. That is peace of God. But third, peace is also an attitude of someone who is enjoying a right relationship with his fellow men. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. This is what he says, quote, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. End of quote. Writer to the Hebrews says the same thing in chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So this is peace with our fellow men. This is the emphasis that Jesus is making in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And so we see from all of this that peace is a state of tranquility with God and man based on faith in Christ that leads to an attitude of contentment in life because of confidence in God's love that results in the enjoyment of God's blessing in all of life's situation and relationships. Friends, that's the meaning of peace as used in this beatitude by Jesus Christ. But now let's look at the concept of peacemaker itself. Exactly what does it mean? Now, based upon what we have learned about peace in the Scriptures already, here is my derived definition from the Scriptures. Quote, A peacemaker is a person who is actively engaged in helping to maintain and restore harmony between God and man and man and man. Let me repeat that. A peacemaker is a person who is actively engaged in helping to maintain and restore harmony between God and man and man and man. I want you to understand that now because that's what Jesus is talking about here in this beatitude. Now let's look at how a peacemaker is to do his or her work. First, with regards to harmony between God and man, a peacemaker does his work by first proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, where he tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's how we become peacemakers between God and man, by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But secondly, we also do it by living wisely. James talks about that in James chapter 3. Listen to what he says. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. And he goes on, talks about, in verse 15, but the wisdom that comes from above, not what comes from the earth. For where entering and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Listen carefully now. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That's how we bring peace between man and man. Now, let's say a little bit more about establishing and maintaining harmony between man and man. Because, my friends, if it's one thing we can be sure of is that troublemakers are always present. That is true in our society as well. A peacemaker is a believer who actively, truthfully, and immediately seeks to deal with all interpersonal matters which result in creating tension, disharmony, strife, or division between fellow believers. Now, there are three major causes for interpersonal conflict. First, if you have an offense caused by word or action. In other words, someone says something or does something that causes conflict. That's one major reason for interpersonal conflict. But secondly, it may be because you have offended someone by your words or your actions. And then thirdly, there is conflict because of a tension due to uncertain or unexplained misunderstanding. In other words, we make decisions and judgments concerning something we don't have enough information on or we judge too quickly, we make our decision too quickly. A beautiful illustration of that is given in Joshua chapter 22, but we don't have time to look at it. This is where the other tribes thought that this tribe was uh, creating altars to a false god, when in reality they were building it to honor God himself. They were about to attack, but then when they talked, they spoke to one another, they found out what happened, and war was prevented. Many things like that happen today, my friends. We make quick judgments and we act before we have all of the information. See, if not dealt with properly, these conflicts can lead to alienation, separation, and years of pain, heartache, and wasted service for God. As the book of Proverbs says, chapter 18 and verse 19, a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. The proper method, then, of dealing with an offended brother or sister in Christ is essential. We must handle it properly. And that is what a peacemaker does. But now, 
How are such situations to be handled biblically by a peacemaker? Well, according to Scripture, first, he or she must take the initiative to correct the situation. In other words, we do something about it ourselves. We don't wait for the other person to move before it is handled. We don't simply leave it with the idea that it will eventually go away, because it won't. True disciples take the initiative to make things right, right away. They are not merely peace lovers, but they are peacemakers. Second, the peacemaker controls his or her anger. In other words, he displays meekness, another trait we spoke about earlier. Galatians 6.1 talks about this. Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness as meekness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. But third, the peacemaker takes the initiative seriously, not only immediately, personally, but seriously, realizing that the worship of God and anger toward a brother or sister cannot coexist. In other words, you cannot worship God acceptably when you are divided or you are separated from your brother or sister. Jesus talks about that in this same Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says in verse 23 of Matthew 5. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remembers that your brother has aught against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That's an amazing revelation here, my friends. God will not receive our worship if we have aught against our brother or they have it against us. There must be reconciliation or at least some attempt to bring it about. So the true pacemaker takes the initiative immediately to settle things. Jesus talks about it again in this chapter. He says, agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and you be thrown into prison. End of quote. Take care of it immediately. Fifth, the peacemaker takes the initiative boldly, regardless of the consequences. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18, verse 15, where he says, and I quote, Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. End of quote. So we must act immediately and we must act boldly. But six, we must take the initiative righteously. James says this in verse 18 of chapter 3 of his epistle. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. He's talking about peacemakers. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that makes peace. It's not peace at any price, mind you. No compromise is suggested here. No cover-ups. It's peace based on truth, righteousness, and integrity. Finally, the peacemaker takes the initiative all the way. Again, Jesus deals with this in Matthew 18. He says this, 
If your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. That's step one. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two others, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. That's the third and final step. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican or unsaved person. In other words, first there is that personal interaction between you and the person with whom you have an offense. If he doesn't hear you, you take some witnesses with you. And you go over the situation. If he does not hear you with the witnesses, then you take that individual to the church, that is, the leaders of the church. In other words, friends, resolution, not division, is the final goal. That is the work of a true peacemaker. That is the kind of work that characterizes us as being godlike. This is the kind of work that a true disciple of Jesus Christ is always and consistently committed to doing. And so Jesus says that a true disciple is one who brokers peace both between God and man and between man and man. Let me ask you as we close today, my friends, are you such a person? Are you a peacemaker? Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the saints.
could happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again